Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,728. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in Birmingham, Michigan, with a very special guest by the name of Chris Theodore. Hey, Chris, welcome to Cars Yeah. Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Ready to go. All right. Hey, before I give you a proper introduction, would you share one little thing with my listeners that maybe most people may not know about you? Well, uh, maybe they don't know that I once helped start up a company that... uh turbocharging company and our two clients were Fiat and DeLorean with a twin turbo DeLorean but never saw the light of day because uh, <laughs> of John's drug deal oh my gosh yeah well that's quite interesting I had a gentleman on the show a couple of years ago who worked with John DeLorean from the very beginning and he was literally the guy that turned the lights out after the building the whole business had gone under and all the assets had been sold off I uh, wrote a book uh, John DeLorean and me uh, and then a follow-up book to that but wow yeah that's Barry Wills he's a good friend of mine there oh okay there you go yeah Barry is a, a great guy boy if there's somebody that knows a lot about that whole business it would be Barry oh my gosh wow well that is very interesting well Obviously, the rest of your career has done much, much better, and I want to give you a proper introduction and dive into that. Chris Theodore is the president of Theodore & Associates, where they specialize in the automotive transportation sector. He provides strategic and project planning, project innovation and design, supplier sourcing, specialty manufacturing, mergers and acquisitions, and business restructuring. Chris's product development division works in concert with associates and partners on style and modeling, CAD and CAE design and analysis, financial business planning, prototype testing, and manufacturing planning. Chris's career spans over 40 years, and he's known as the father of of the Ford GT and the engineer's engineer. Can't wait to hear about that. We'll be back in just a minute to talk with Chris, but first a word from our valued sponsors that make this show possible. So keep your seatbelts on. This is going to be a fun ride. Did you know that Covercraft offers you much, much more than just car covers, floor mats, seat covers, and trunk liners? When you visit Covercraft.com, you'll find Cologne custom bras, LeBra front-end covers, and hood protectors that protect your vehicle's front end during road trips. No more rock chips or hours removing nasty boat jerky from the grill or your paint. You'll find vehicle seatback organizers that keep everything in check. They're perfect for those kids' things in the back seat. Spidey gear webs that keep the cargo in your truck bed safely in place. Seat heaters, cargo bars, pro nets, rooftop carriers, and pet travel barriers that keep Fido in the back seat where he belongs. They even make tire covers for winter storage or summer storage of your tires. And don't forget their dash mat dashboard covers that shield the sun's damaging rays and their sunscreens, one of my personal favorites. Their pet protection pads are easy to install. They remove and are washable. They protect your floors, seats from Fido's damaging claws and messy fur and hair. Everything at Covercraft is carefully engineered and of course, 
course, always quality made. And I've got a great deal for you. If you use the code YEAH120 at Covercraft.com, you get 10% off your Covercraft order. That's right, 10% off. Just use the code YEAH120, Y-E-A-H-120 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. When it was time to renew my last policy for my collector car, my carrier's rates went up. They went way up. But my usage was the same and I never had made a claim. No tickets, nothing. What's with that? American Collectors Insurance, that's who now protects my Porsche Turbo. The one I call my orange crush. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? I was too. So I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations, and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, am I glad I did. I'm saving hundreds of dollars. I can sleep at night knowing my baby is properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provide me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by a history of taking care of their clients. What could be better than that? Give them a call for a quote today at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did. American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. All right, Chris, we're back. And as we take this journey that I'm going to call your life, I'd love for you to share a success quote, a mantra, some kind of saying that perhaps has meaning for you. It's a nice way to get those inspirational tires spinning a little bit here on Cars. Yeah. So, Chris, take the wheel. Well, I guess the mantra was when you're designing cars, you need to anticipate the future of what people's physical and emotional needs are. And a lot of times people in the business don't do that. You have to get inside your potential customer's head and to design a product they may not even know they want or need. And you certainly want to get them fired up about it when they see it. So how on earth do you do that? You're a bit of a crystal ball mind reader. Well, we try. You know, I'm a car enthusiast first, and uh, uh, in the business, they do market research, but one of the lessons Bob Lutz taught me years ago is uh, market research can lead you in a bunch of wrong directions because people don't necessarily know what they want in the future. Right. So we've come up with some various theories over the years, and I like to, when we do do clinics, I, I really just like to observe the customers and try and get inside their heads and try and understand who you're designing a car for and what rings their bell. And one of the things we learned over time was that your emotional responses are kind of established in your early teens. Whatever grabbed your attention back then, you've come up with something that resonates with that fond memory, and you'll do well. So, for example, for me, you know, what resonated with me as a car kid was when the XKE came out and the Cobra and the 4GT, I mean, I remember the issues of the magazines. And, of course, uh, being able to do the 4GT many years later was uh, a dream come true. So you try and figure out what's going to hit those hot buttons. We did the same thing with the PT Cruiser. We knew everybody needed, after we did the minivan at Chrysler, there was also a need for a smaller mini minivan, if you will. Mm -hmm. But everybody that tried that had failed because they didn't make an emotional connection. And uh, that's where, with the help of a designer by the name of Nesbitt, uh, we came up with this kind of hot rod look and 
And the PT Cruiser was a fantastic success. Made sold a million two cars and made a lot of money, well, which yeah. is hard to do in the small car business. Well, absolutely. You know, I find this very, very intriguing. Having had a, my entire career in marketing and trying to outguess what people want and what you're going to make for them and create for them and so forth. Cars is a much bigger deal because the ramifications of a failure are massive when it comes to tooling and engineering and designing and all the work that goes into this. You know, you mentioned before we dive a little bit more deeper into your business, Theodore and Associates, I introduced you as the father of the Ford GT, one of my favorite cars that Ford brought back when I think back to when I was a kid seeing the original GT40s race. I mean, that was in building models of those back in the 60s was just a dream. What was your involvement there? Well, actually, uh, everybody had always wanted to do another GT40 or Ford GT, but through some fortuitous circumstances, and I wrote a book about some of these projects, but the stars aligned. I had suggested that we do a Ford GT right after I joined Ford, rejoined Ford Motor Company. Uh, we were on the plane to close the deal on the purchase of Volvo, and I suggested to the CEO and the EVPs, I said, we need to do a Ford GT, and everybody got excited, and and then project uh, surprisingly was given to somebody else at first who turned out to be a good friend Neil Wrestler and it languished for a couple languished for a couple of years and uh, then when Bill Ford took over control of the company uh, after the Firestone fiasco we needed a project to show that uh, Ford was firmly in control and ready to celebrate the Ford centennial and uh they asked me, what should we do? And I said, we can either do the 49 Ford concept that we did or the Ford GT. And uh, Jay Mays, who said to design myself, I was head of engineering. We said, let's do the, uh, the Ford GT. And, you know, the rest is history. It was a dream car project that came, came true. So we set up a team, did it in record time, and uh, people loved the car. Oh, no kidding. I got to drive one of the first gens of those cars coming out, and the newest version of those vehicles now is killer as well. I mean, brilliant job. It's it's really cool to be talking to a guy who was behind all of that. I mean, absolutely, absolutely brilliant project there. I think it's fantastic. Let's talk more about Theodore and Associates, all the different things that you're doing in the car industry now as a consultant, analyst, advisor, all the different things you do. Can you walk us through the process of what a day might look like for someone like you? I have a feeling every day is going to be a little different, right? Well, yes, of course, in this COVID environment, I've, you know, I've scaled things back and working mostly on my own projects, but oh, I've been asked to advise, uh, review other people, manufacturers, design proposals, how they should do engineering, provide advice, provide analysis of what they, they're coming up with. And, uh, you know, it's they value my advice, and I enjoy seeing what others are coming to. And actually, my favorite thing right now is once a year, I'm a guest judge with Motor Trend for Car of the Year. And every year we go out and test 50 or 60 cars for four days. And it's great to keep abreast of what's going on in the marketplace and seeing you know what's where things are excellent and where things need to be improved and what the trends are and uh, it's a lot of fun now your career took you to a lot of different businesses and marks were there a couple maybe stories you can share with us of projects you just shared one with the fantastic Ford GT that really stand out career highlights for you oh i guess there's pro- <laughs> <laughs> maybe there's, there's, a, a, there's too many to talk about <laughs> well there's a lot but uh I guess uh, when I was at Chrysler, 
I think the two I'm most proud of was the second generation Chrysler minivan with the four sliding door and a bunch of other features that really moved minivans forward and was very successful in the marketplace. And a PT Cruiser. Uh, I was also a participant on the Viper in the early days and ran the Viper program later on. Mm. Uh, the, the Plymouth Prowler. So those were all great projects. And then a Ford Motor Company, we did the Ford GT, the Shelby Cobra concept, which through an unusual set of circumstances, I now own one of one, the last Shelby Cobra. Really? Yeah. We did the 2005 Mustang, which I'm very proud of. Yes. Uh, we did a host of other concept cars, the GR1. And of course, uh, I helped bring Carol Shelby back into Ford Motor Company, for starting first with the Ford GT, we did the Shelby Cobra concept, and finally, uh, I got his name back on a car, which was, of course, the Shelby GT500. So those are some of the more exciting projects uh, I've worked on. I can't even imagine. Well, you talked earlier about the what pulls our heartstrings, and when I think about, for me as well, uh, being a kid of the 60s and 70s, the cars I gravitate towards now tend to be cars I wish I could have back then as a kid or friends of mine's parents had those cars. And you think of the Ford Mustang as a great example of a car that went through all these odd years, if you will, after the initial. I had a 66 Fastback that was actually built uh, built to replicate a GT350, a uh, really nicely done one as well. In fact, I took it to a show and I won first place in the GT350 class and I didn't even, really didn't even know I'd entered it. And I had to kind of go, well, this isn't a real one. And everybody said, what? It was that nicely done. But the Ford Mustang to me, and even as you look at the models today, they tug on those heartstrings. It just you just look at them and go, wow. I mean, I remember as a kid looking at guys driving those things. So you did a tremendous job of fulfilling that desire with people. When you think about your career, Chris, what's one of the aspects of your career that brings you the most joy, the most fun? Well, now it's all the people that enjoy some of the cars that we worked on. They want to know the stories. Uh, either about Carroll Shelby or how we did the Mustang or how we brought back the GT500 and how we, and the Ford GT, how we captured the essence of just what you said, what was people emotionally wanted, a 66 or 65 Mustang. How do you bring it forward with new technology, new looks, but capture the, the flavor and the essence of, of what was a very exciting product when it came out? Yeah. So that's, that's where the fun is when you, when you really, come up with something that uh, pulls on the heartstrings of people and they've got to have it. Well, and you think of the bullet Mustang that Ford came out with as well. I've had Chad McQueen on a few times and uh, bringing that back. And I had Sean who owned one of the original bullet Mustangs for a while. I know that just sold a year or so ago, but, uh, but you work on some of your own projects you just spoke of. What are some of your own projects? Well, uh, first thing I, I, I got the 2004 uh, Shelby Cobra concept. I ended up owning that car. Uh, Ford put it up at a charity auction, but then the lawyers got involved and disabled the car. Now my team built, designed and built the car, and I'm probably the only one that could have got it running again. So I mortgaged both houses. I bought the car, um, got that running. I've been showing it at concours and taking it out on the track, and uh, it's a fabulous automobile. And then over the years, I became closer and closer friends with Carol Shelby. I first met him when we were doing the Viper at Chrysler. Mm -hmm. We did get him back into Ford, as I mentioned. And we started working on a lot of other projects, some which came to fruition and some which didn't. Of course, we worked together on the Shelby GT500 and the GR1 as well. 
And then later on, we were going to, when the Ford GT was going out of production, we, we actually were very close to um, buying the tooling to do a Shelby GT. Mm. And uh, I wrote about that in my book. We didn't we didn't get that one. One person said no. Everybody else said yes, and it didn't happen. Oh, no. Uh. But uh, right now I'm finishing off another project I started with, Carol. I had to stop it when I <laughs> spent all my money to buy the Cobra Concept. But I had invented a chassis called, I call Unichassis, that I uh, showed to Carol. And he said, before you do it, show it to anybody. He says, patent it, which I did. And we decided with the support of Ford Motor Company to build a proof of concept vehicle. Carol gave me what must be the only real carbon fiber 427 Cobra body. And Ford Motor Company allowed me to purchase, believe it or not, one of the prototype 4GTs to field strip. And uh, we built my all-aluminum chassis using the 4GT motor up front and the 4GT transaxle in the back and suspension. And I'm now finishing that project. Started many, many years ago, and I suspended it when I bought the uh, the Cobra Concept, which we call Daisy. <laughs> and uh, now I'm getting back to finishing it off. So hopefully we'll have it running next year. Uh, mechanically, it's done. We just got the electrical done. And I got to do a little development, make it look pretty. But it's a it's a fun project. It should be one monstrous Cobra. Where do you think you'll take that project? Will it be a one-off, or will it evolve into something more? Well, actually, Carol and I had dreamed about uh, doing a limited-run series of those vehicles. Mm-hmm. Now, that didn't, uh, when he passed, uh, that didn't come to happen. So I don't think it's ever going to happen. So it's, I think it's going to end up being, uh, you know, another one-off. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So, And it was it, it's good to show off the chassis concept. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, it's lightweight and very simple and modular. Uh, we've talked to a couple of manufacturers about doing an aftermarket kit because most of, you know, most of the so-called resto mods, they're trying to upgrade the technology, but we, I wanted to take it to the extreme and come up with a chassis that could be, you know, sliced and diced to fit almost any car. Right. So uh, maybe that'll happen, but I'm getting on in years now, and I'm not. Uh, it's, it's not something I have to accomplish. Well, so. maybe you find a younger cohort to help you take this thing forward and make it a reality. I think it sounds brilliant and fascinating and wonderful. And uh, if that day comes, you need to call me back, Chris. We'll get you back on the show and we'll talk about this car in spe- specifically. In particular, sounds very, very cool. Why the name Daisy? Where did that come from? Well, I, I don't know if you knew, but when we did the 4GT program to keep it quiet, the code name that Neil Ressler came up with was Petun- Petunia. <laughs> and of course, everybody knew that because nobody would think the codename Petunia would be a supercar. Right. And so as kind of a follow-on, tongue-in-cheek, we codenamed uh, the Cobra Concept Daisy. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, everybody knew. But you, you could connect <laughs> the dots yeah. that time. And then when the car came out, it got best to show at the Detroit Auto Show. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, congratulations for all that. I always ask my guests to share a big challenge they face. Now, being in the business you've been, cars, engineering, design, trying to bring something to market that you think people will buy has got to be fraught with more challenges than anything I can think of. I'd love for you to walk through one particular difficult challenge in your life. But more importantly, what did it teach you? What was that lesson learned so you could move forward in a positive way? Well, probably the most difficult part was, uh, as I mentioned, we set up uh, this company called Legend Industries in New York, 
we had two clients with Fiat and DeLorean, and we we turbocharged the Fiat Spider, one of the first independent manufacturer to get EPA certified. And then we did a fabulous twin-turbo version of the DeLorean, which we knew the car needed the power, built a couple of prototypes. And then uh, the sad part, we built up, I brought a lot of uh, my colleagues from Detroit to New York, and we set up an engineering facility, and then and everything went bust. And I guess the saddest day was when I had to lay everyone off, and I stayed there working until uh, trying to save the company, and uh, ultimately had to make a house payment. <laughs> right. I had to go get another job. Right. So you, the lesson you learn is, uh, well, I learned a lot of lessons. I mean, John Z was the most genial con man you ever met, and I've got lots of good stories to tell about it. I'll bet. And uh, that helped me in spot that particular characteristic in, in future business dealings. And it... Uh, it still was a hell of a learning experience. To fail, you learn from you learn from your failures, and uh, certainly we were we were counting on two clients. Fiat withdrew from North America, and John went bankrupt, so we went bankrupt, and so yeah. we had to start over. But uh, a lot of a lot of good lessons there of sticking with it, and uh, through some good circumstances, uh, and a lot of companies later, great things happened. Well, absolutely. You know, the the golden nugget I heard you say here, and I've dealt with the same thing, is when you trust people and you feel like you're working with somebody that's trustworthy and great, and then they let you down, and you sit back and go, what did I miss there? How did I miss what this character was really up to? And then when you go into business somewhere else and you see that character again with another face, and you think, I've been here before. I know what you're up to. I'm not going to let it happen to me again. Uh, it's a wonderful lesson, very difficult one in your case, for sure. Well, I'd like to say it didn't happen again, but I like to believe the best in people, and, and I, I made that mistake more than once. But I'm a little little wiser these days. Right. I understand. No, I've been there in the same place. Uh, you have uh, best intent. You believe what somebody has, and when somebody doesn't have that, it really does let you down, and you can't let it be souring you against everything else you do in the future, or it'll really eat you alive. Let's take a short break and take a breath here. We come back. I want to dive into your personal passion for cars way, way back, so sit tight. Keep the seatbelts on. We'll be right back with Chris. Let's step away from the conversation and talk about our charity of choice here at Cars Yeah. America's Automotive Trust. America's Automotive Trust is a group of like-minded nonprofits that are working together to preserve and promote car culture across the country. Together, they provide scholarships and grants to aspiring technicians and restoration artists. They provide youth education programs and bring communities together through auto-related events, car shows, and drives. Among these nonprofits is TechForce Foundation, a great organization dedicated to solving the technician shortage that threatens the transportation industry today. By providing career development resources and increasing awareness and enthusiasm for the tech profession, TechForce is bringing bright young students into the auto, diesel, aviation, marine, motorcycle, motorsports, and restoration worlds. To date, they've awarded more than $10 million in scholarships and grants to tech students. And in times like these, I don't have to tell you how essential those techs are, keeping our delivery and emergency vehicles running and keeping America rolling. To learn more about TechForce or to make a donation to this cause, visit www.techforce.org. You'll be glad you did. So, what do you do after running a race team for 27 years 
With over 100 podiums, multiple Daytona wins, and a win at Le Mans? Well, if you're racer and the Racers Group team owner, Kevin Buckler, you start Adobe Road Winery. It's located in Petaluma, California, and he and his team have created a winning combination with the Racing Series, four ultra-premium red wine blends that are in a class of their own. Like racing, these wines comprise of art, precision, engineering, science, wrapped in a whole lot of fun. You can choose from four blends titled Redline, Apex, Shift, and the 24. Today, I'm going to talk about Shift. This wine was awarded 93 points by Robert Parker's Wine Advocate. It's balanced and spicy with dark blueberries and a cigar aroma. The unique bottle shape features a vintage-inspired metal gated shift back with carbon fiber, and the cork is topped with a five-speed shift knob. That's right. There's going to be some battles at the dinner table on who gets to keep the cork after this bottle has been enjoyed. The Racing Series is a delicious gift for the automotive enthusiast in your life, and I've got a deal for you. If you use the code CARSYEAH, all one word in caps, at checkout, you get $10 off any purchase of the wines from the Racing Series. Your wine ships promptly and arrives quickly right at your door. Use the code CARSYEAH at checkout and get $10 off your purchase from the Racing Series today. There's always a seat at the table for excellence with the Racing Series. Go to adoberoadwines.com and use the code CARSYEAH today. Cheers! All right, Chris, we're back. Uh, If you think back in time to that pivotal moment in your life when you knew that you were a car guy, what was that? Well, it's probably too young to remember, but uh, two things I do know that totally, I don't know why I was so fascinated with cars, but turns out my older cousin uh, used to babysit for me, and he used to drive me, I think I was like four years old, he'd drive me around parking lots to entertain me, and he'd (laughs) he'd make me name every car model in year. The, of every vehicle I saw. And, you know, my dad came home from work one day. My dad, you know, could break an anvil. He was had no mechanical inclination. Wonderful man. But my mother started yelling at him, you know what your son did? And he says, what? And I had jacked up my dad's 51 Plymouth trying to change the tire at like the age of four or five. What? <laughs> you know, so it's, for some reason, cars just click with me, and I just, you know, did everything automotive after that, from building models. I used to get the, my dad, the one thing he used to do, being a Detroiter, is he would uh, he would drive me to the factories uh, before the new models came out, and we'd peek through the fence so I could get a sneak peek at what was coming out, because in those days, if you remember, they used to paper the, the windows of the dealerships, because yeah. it was a big deal when the new models came out. Right. And so that kind of reinforced that love. And then I'd get all the brochures and with an eraser and a pen, I'd re- restyle all the cars. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, started designing my own cars. The first car I actually worked on as a complete car was at the University of Michigan. And that professor was Dave Cole, uh, U of M, son of Ed Cole, former president of General Motors. Wow. And there was a, a intercollegiate first ever uh, urban vehicle design competition. So I was in the senior class, and Dave went to the class, and he said, uh, do you guys want to enter this competition? And I said, sure. And the first thing I did is I skipped all my classes for the next week, went off, 
and drew up this urban vehicle that I proposed. And uh, we ended up building the car and entering the competition and did did rather well. So you know, to design your own car with a team of guys, probably less than a dozen of us, mm-hmm. did all the design, the clay model, everything from scratch. Wow. Actually, it was a plaster model. It wasn't a clay model. And uh, build a car. It had a rotary engine. It had an onboard drunk tester. It had uh, four-point seat belts. It was very advanced for for its time mm-hmm. and uh that spoiled me you know loved doing that and interviewed with the various automakers they said you can't do that you, you we've got guys that have been chief engineers here for 30 years you gotta you know you gotta design door handles well <laughs> <laughs> not interesting i kind of i kind of worked my way around that yeah it sounds and like got it. to fulfill my dream do you know what your son did isn't it funny when we're kids and we do the wrong thing all of a sudden we're not our mother's son anymore we're our father's son <laughs> Yeah, I heard that many times, I think, as well. Well, what was your first really special car in your life, that first vehicle you got that really made you proud, or maybe the first vehicle that you were really integral in the design of? Well, the integral one was the urban vehicle, doing that car from the ground up. Um, the first, But at the same time, I bought a 1968 BMW 1600 Ti gray market vehicle. Loved that car. Of course, it blew up within about six months. Uh-oh. And then I spent the next uh, year tearing it down piece by piece, restoring it, putting Alpina fenders on it, repainting it, and uh, that was a fun car. Yeah. It had uh, uh, Goodrich TA tires, vector wheels. It was it was Inca orange. Ooh. It was it was a cool cool car. Unfortunately, like most BMWs, it, it then even after I restored it, it rotted out a year later. But it was it was great fun. I loved that car. And I've had about I've had about five of those. And I, have a, <laughs> I have a very rare BMW 1600 Cabriolet now. Oh, really? So yeah, wow. so that's a lot of fun. Yeah, I have a good friend who's just on the end of a restoration with a BMW Tiza. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. A very unique car. Something you never saw over here in the states, but uh, he found one that uh, is really beautiful and good shape. So they're restoring it. So nice. I've got. I was just at a friend's house last night who has a. Uh, a TII and uh, great fun little cars. I've driven them on the tracks. They're they're fantastic. I'm going to crawl into your head here, Chris, a little bit. I'm going to be a bit of a psychologist. If you woke up tomorrow and you were a vehicle, this isn't what you want to be. This is you manifest. Your characteristics manifest in a vehicle. What would Chris Theodore be? And more importantly, why? Well, there's a dichotomy there because <laughs> what I want to be is a 4GT, which of course which you did. Um, but or a light, nimble sports car, but I'm not light and I'm not nimble. <laughs> okay, being honest. <laughs> and I tend to be on the pragmatic side. So in another sense, while I love the passion of cars and, and I love sports cars, uh, I was sort of the right guy to work on that minivan project to make a very a vehicle that looked good, but more importantly, felt fulfilled everybody's needs. What we what the team did when we were running it was. We went out and we actually got stopped people on the freeways that were at the service exits. And we'd see what they had in their car, what they needed, how they were using their minivan. And we added all these features in that they didn't even know they wanted from, you know, um, plastic bag holders for the groceries to Kleenex boxes to holding every kind of juice cup to seats that uh, rolled out of the car so that they could go to the lumber yard. Uh, so... And maybe I'm a minivan that wants to be a Ford GT. <laughs> now, I have a question for you. Since you were so intimately involved in the minivan, did the minivan kill the wagon? 
Yes. Um, and the wagon still hasn't come back. And, and there's been a couple of attempts, including one by me. Again, it gets into the psyche of human beings. What you talked about when you're a teenager, what impresses you. But there's also things that you don't like. And if you think about it, uh, that generation, when they're with family, the last thing they ever wanted when they were a kid to be stuck in the back seat of a station wagon. Uh, uh, they had a horrid memories of that. So there's a, a reverse reaction where you don't want to be your parents and you don't want to have your parents' car. Yeah. And so, and so that kind of enabled, and, and, and just the minivan layout that Chrysler came up with is just so pragmatic and useful. Now, the minivan uh, got killed by the, SUV. the SUV, SUVs <laughs> and now the CUVs, which are less practical minivans, but uh, emotionally connect to consumers more, which is kind of surprising. I mentioned one that didn't, or two that didn't do as well as they should, and that's, uh, you won't even remember the Ford Freestyle, which was our attempt at a CUV back in the day. And that had the interior space and package of a Ford Explorer, uh, and very useful car, but it didn't look enough like an SUV, so it didn't do that well in the marketplace. And then we uh, hit it again with the Ford Flex, which... I'm still very proud of because people that own them have owned five and ten of them. And it ran for over ten years, and it was a bit overpriced, but uh, uh, without any changes. And people just loved that car. So it was a it was a non minivan minivan because it, you know, it did especially well in California because it it was a, a Land Rover minivan, if you will. Right. <laughs> so, sure, exactly. It, well, it's amazing to me. I. You know, I must be a little odd then, Chris, because my memories of station wagons when I was a kid, my parents had two Oldsmobile Vista Cruisers, and I loved going for rides in those. My sister and I would sit in that far back seat. It had those windows up above that we kind of thought were our windows. Even in the back seat, it had visors that would come down to protect you from the sun coming through those skylights, the the small skylights. My dad didn't like the visor down because he couldn't see out the rearview mirror. He was always uh-huh. making us put it up. But maybe that's why I've always wanted to get a wagon again. I can never come convince my wife. Uh, she's driven BMW X5s since giving up sedans way back when we had kids. But I keep trying to say, hey, how about a wagon as your next car? And she just looks at me and goes, get your own wagon. <laughs> you know, I just, you know they, might, they might come back again, but there's going to be a radical change in the next 10, 15 years. And uh, it'll be 2050 before, it, you know, don't listen to all the hype, but before autonomous really happens, by 2050, I've been predicting for a long time that the uh, People driving automobiles will be banned and it'll all be autonomous. And once they're all autonomous, they go, they're going to be little Tupperware boxes that hold people and they have to attract people in a different manner because they're all going to accelerate the same way. They're going to uh, you know, have the same braking, the same same top speed because it's all going to be regulated by the, the Autobots. You're breaking my heart, Chris. There's a tear dripping down my cheek right now. Well, well mine too, but I won't be around to see it. So, you know. You know what? Then all the cars will end up. Uh, we'll really treasure the cars that have been done in the last ten or twenty years. No, you bring up a really important thing here, and I'll, I'll ask you this question: What's going to happen when that happens with all these beautiful old cars? Will it be like horses? They'll just be special places you go to drive your old car. That's exactly where I was going. In fact, I, I keep my cars at the M1 Concourse, which is like 
it's not a horse farm. It's a car farm. We've got a track. We've got our own garages. Yep. And uh, there'll be special places for people to enjoy those cars and, and those good old days. And uh, it, it, it's going to happen. Uh, progress wow. will continue. And uh, people will still appreciate them, but it'll appreciate like they appreciate thoroughbred horses. Right. It'll be, be a different time, a different place. And there's going to be, even then, there's going to be two types of cars. There will be the, the classic cars like um, Cobras and Ford GTs that require skill to drive, you know, on a track and really test yourself. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be autonomous hypercars that are basically just expensive amusement rides mm. for those who just want to scare themselves to death. Right. On a so track that's somewhere. my projection of the future. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> Okay, well, I don't think I'll be around either, so I won't have to worry about it. I'll just keep having fun with my old cars. My kids will have to deal with this, but uh, I think they're already down that path anyway. We are entering the last lap on that note. Woo! And uh, by the way, I want to mention uh, M1 uh, Brad, who's been a guest on the show here, uh, who's launching another uh, wonderful venue. Go back and listen to his show. All right, these are some quick questions, really quick answers, so here we go. What's one of your personal habits that you think has contributed to your successes over the li- over the period of your life? Well, I mean, it's kind of obvious, but uh, work hard, strive for excellence. And I always prided myself in trying to get the best out of everybody that was working for mm. me. So, I, you know, I pushed them hard, not, you know, not punishing way, but challenged them to go go one step beyond. And, uh, and, I, and teamwork, mm. yeah. you know, got them to understand each other's position. And I found it best to work in small teams over time which we had great success with at, uh, well, when I was at American Motors and Chrysler, we set up platform teams. And, of course, the 4GT team, that car was designed basically by 30 or so guys. And, you know, they they had to work together to uh, to create a great car, and they were very successful. Well, in past cars, yeah, I guess Camilo Pardo was part of that. He's been on the show, yep. so you can go back and listen to him. I, I ran into him at the La Jolla Concours in 2019. He was nice enough to give me a ride in his new Ford GT, which he had driven across the country to come to the event in, so that was pretty fun. If I could arrange for you to have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry, either living or someone who's passed, who would it be? Well, I sure would like to see Carol Shelby again. We became extremely close friends even after I left Ford and retired and worked on many projects together. He was such an engaging character. Yes, he had flaws, but he was just so much fun. I'd just like to talk to him again because, and uh, I'd like to see what he thinks of my book because that was, uh, you know, it's about my times with Carol. And, uh, but there's others, of course, like Dan Gurney and, uh, you know, some of the other greats. I wish I could go back in time to the early 1900s. I think I could have done even better there. Oh, yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, as a mechanical engineer, when you're really inventing, things have changed a bit these days. Wouldn't that be something? Now, when it comes to automotive advice someone else has ever offered you, what would that be? I think Bob Lutz is probably the biggest influence uh, on marketing and, and not getting misled by market research. And... You know, we had common philosophies about car design and passion. And so Bob was a huge influence uh, in my career, and his advice was was critical. Marketing thing is, the key lesson was, people used to use market research and said, oh, our average score was 6.6 on this vehicle, which beat out the other car, which is 6.5. And 
let's turn the marketing guys on their heads. And he said, look, I want to do a car that people either love or hate. Obviously, you want more love than hate. And it was put to the test when the Ram was done at Chrysler. Mm. And we designed the car to look like a Mack truck. And the market research, and Bob says, what have you got to lose? Chrysler had 8% of the pickup truck market. And we did the market research, and we did, redesigned it as a Mack truck, or kind of like a Mack truck anyway, a fierce-looking truck, tough truck. And uh, the market research was like 18% love and 10% hate. Well, guess what? We, Bob's went ahead. We did it. I wasn't involved in that project, but did that vehicle and sure enough chrysler instantly went to 18 percent market share <laughs> Guess which what? <laughs> you know because the one the prior product was going to look just like a ford or chevy pickup so you know and and that that carried on to all the other projects i did whether it's the minivan or the pt cruiser the one that got away that kills me it's finally happened was was the bronco concept i don't know if you remember that from 2003 2004 we didn't have the money to get that project done, and we did the research on that, and it was like 90% love and wow. almost 0% hate. And, uh, well, that's why the Broncos going to do so good, even almost, it's 15 years later. Uh, I think they're doing an excellent job with that. Goes back to what you said, tugging on our youthful heartstrings. Now, when it comes to resources, we have so many these days. You and I, back in the day, we could only dream about what's going on in the internet. Is there one that stands out for you? There's some I enjoy. If, if I don't know if you're on Motorology. Is I'm very familiar with it. Yeah, it's a it's by uh, Bill McGuire, and it just everybody pitches in and tells. Brings up great historical products and great historical stories, and it's just fascinating. Uh, so I enjoy that a lot. And um, the other thing, I, resource I love is both Amelia Island Concourse. It's not as stuffy as Pebble Beach. It's a fun concourse, and it's run by a wonderful man, Bill Warner. If you haven't met him, if you haven't gone to the concourse, you got to go to that because uh, it's a fun concourse, things you'll never see. And Bill just is a fountain of knowledge. And all the judges are all heavy hitters from the industry, including myself. And uh, we just have a ball. And so it's great event. Bill's been a guest many times here on Cars. Yeah, as a friend of mine, uh, great, great guy. Now you keep him and he's written some cool books too, involved with uh, one in particular with uh, Tom Cotter when they went off to uh, Cuba. Now you keep mentioning your book. What's the title of your book? And is it still available? Yeah, we're almost out, but the first print anyway. So maybe we'll end get into a second. I hope so. It's called The Last Shelby Cobra, My Times with Carol Shelby, and it describes basically everything from, obviously, Shelby being my boyhood hero to meeting him on Viper, and then all the projects we worked on up until his his passing uh, in 2012, and a lot of inside information, some of which I've touched on here today, and it's gotten really nice reviews. I'm thankful to everybody. It's published by Lochi, it's uh, available on Amazon. And of course, somebody can always drop me a line and I can sign a book and send it to them too. There you go. I'll make sure I put links to that on Chris's show notes page so you can get your hands on a copy before they're all gone. I hope you do a second printing as well. Uh, that'll be on Chris's show notes page on the Cars Yeah website. All right, Chris, we're here to the checkered flag. Today, 
I'm gonna buy you a cool car, any kind of collector car in the world. But there's a couple of rules to the game since I'm the benefactor here writing the check. You can't sell it to uh, buy a bunch of other toys with. That little trick's off the table. I wanted to tick all the boxes. I want you to be able to drive it and enjoy it. And it's one of the only collector cars you can have. And I'm gonna give you a little bit of leeway here because most of the times I say it's the only collector car that one vehicle you have, that uh, first Cobra there or Shelby car, you can keep that. Park it in the back. Uh, <laughs> I don't want you to get rid of that because that's special to you. I, that'd be, a, you know, I would kill the whole question here because you'd say, well, I've already got it, Mark. See you later. So if I could buy you something else that's a collector car, something unique and different, what would it be? Uh, it would be the Type 57 Bugatti Atlantic. Oh, gosh. And, <laughs> and it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't, you know, the one everybody the one that's the most valued is the, is the blue one. Yeah. But uh, the black one that uh, was... You want Ralph's car? Ralph's car. Yeah. It, that car's tweaked a little bit. It's not honest, but it's got Ralph's touch on it. And yeah. it is... It's just luscious. All and right. It, it ticks all the boxes. It's a gorgeous car. Yeah. Fabulous engineering for the time. Meticulous in the detail. You know, every chassis and engine component. It just... That ticks the boxes. It's a work of art. It's a piece of jewelry That'd for sure. I'd be afraid to drive it, though. <laughs> well, you know, maybe uh, have our own racetrack when we can take that out and enjoy it a little bit. I'll give Ralphie a call here. Yeah, you know, I bought enough shirts with polo ponies on them. He owes me a favor or two. Uh, <laughs> so I'll see what I can do for you. Chris, you've taken me on an awesome ride. What an interesting history and background. I'm so grateful that we were able to connect today. I want to thank you for sharing your journey. Before I let you go, would you offer me one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you Drive off into the sunset in that beautiful Type 57 Bugatti Atlantique with Ralph Lauren waving as you drive away from his garage. Well, uh, I'd say enjoy what I think is the last decade and the next decade are going to be probably the most heroic times for lovers of automobiles. So enjoy them while you can. And if you want to know, I got to put in a little pitch here. If you want to know what this Shelby Cobra concept is, Jay, it's, it was on the first episode of Jay Leno's Garage Season 6, and uh, Jay took it for a ride, and uh, we were with Donald Osborne, and uh, it's a fun car, and I hope you like it and take a look at that. I guess I'd also tell you, you know, I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn if people want to get a hold of me. I like to talk to car people. All right, cool. I'll make sure I put all those links to uh, Chris's business, Theodore and Associates, and all the different ways you can reach out and talk cars with him. Again, a big thank you to Brad Olashansky, who connected me with Chris. He's the one who uh, built the M1 concept of uh, garage homes for your garage and, and car gals and car guys that uh, uh, we referred to today. So, Brad, thank you so much for the kind introduction. Listeners, you can find everything about Chris on the Carja website. Just go to Carja.com, type in Chris Theodore. And everything will pop up right there. Thanks for being so generous today, Chris, with your time and expertise and for sharing your life with me. This has been absolutely fascinating. I could talk with you for hours. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road. Great talking to you. It was fun. Thank you so much. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at carsyeah.com. 
Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah. Yeah.